there's a battle coming. The war has already begun. It has raged unseen for millennia. And though we often struggle to see the conflict for what it really is, all of us can feel its effects. We wrestle with the powers of sin and death on a daily basis. And sometimes, in our darkest moments, it can feel like we're losing. But the word of the Lord tells a different story. Hope echoes throughout the pages of scripture. Despite the mystery that surrounds it, the book of Revelation offers the people of God a clear message. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. Church family, there is a right and a wrong time to do certain things. And every now and then you have to look for the signs on when to do it. I want to talk a little bit about gardening and fertilizing. Now, is any green thumbs here in the building? Who would say there's a green thumb? And so when you're a green thumb, you have to look for uh, the weather patterns uh, because in order to plant flowers, you want to make sure it's not going to freeze again. Am I right, green thumbs? It's a right and wrong time. If you're looking at your flowers and you see dry soil and droopy flowers, you know maybe it's time to water. Um, it's a pretty easy one. For me, my realm is not really flowers, but fertilization. I like to have a green lawn. Anyone else? And so what that means, if it's May and it has rained all of May and your grass is still brown, that's a sign to fertilize. However, if you're in July and August and it's been a drought for like a month and now it's brown, you do not want to fertilize, you might burn the grass. There's a right and wrong time to do certain things. Agreed? If you're a kid growing up, you knew this about mom or dad. If you wanted to go someplace or if you needed some money, you had to read the signs on how mom or dad were doing, right? There was a good and, time, good and right time to ask. I consider watching baseball. If the baseball players look like this, it is not a good time to book a ticket. It is a cold game, friends. It's not going to be very fun in Chicago. The reason I bring this up is that we live in a spiritual age where many people look for signs. Do you know what I'm talking about? They look for signs on where should I live and what house should I buy, uh, what, what car should I drive. God, if you would just give me a sign, right? Now, a few things about that. We do have the Holy Spirit reigning in our hearts that can inform us, and God does know how to open and close certain doors. But can I be honest as a pastor? Many times when we're looking for specific signs, they're more disruptive than they are helpful. My experience as a pastor is that sometimes when asking God for a specific thing, it can actually lead you to doubt God rather than trust him because you're relying on something he didn't promise. In fact, can I dig in a little bit more about these specific signs? When Jesus was talking to Pharisees and the religious people of his day, look at what he said about sign wanting. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. Be careful. But none will be given except the sign of Jonah. And that was a reference, by the way, to his death and resurrection. That as Jonah was in a whale for three days, Jesus would be in the grave for three days and then rise again. And have you ever known anyone disrupted because they saw a sign? Or maybe even they said, well, God said I should do this or that. And just a word of caution. Because what is more the case in my experience is that God has given us free will. Free will on what 
car to buy and house to buy, free will on what job to take and free will on who to marry. And on the other side of those decisions, he has promises for you. He has promises that regardless of the job, I know how to provide for you. Regardless of the location, if you rise on the wings of the dawn, I will be there for you. Regardless of relationships, I know how to work all things for the good, those called according to my purpose. So again, just my pastoral cautious warning over specific signs and specific sign wanting, because often this can lead to doubt and disillusionment and even a disruption of your faith. But then on the other side, there are general signs that God has given us. And those general signs we're going to talk about today. The book of Revelation has many signs about the coming of the end. And the book of Revelation was born out of this teaching prompted by the disciples. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples said this, Tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And as you saw in the first lesson, he launched into those signs. And as you're going to see in our lesson for this morning, there's pictures of these signs. And as Jesus was done talking about it, this is what he said. He said, learn the lesson of the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Basically, as you and I can tell when summer is coming, when spring is coming. So Jesus says, you're going to be able to know the signs of my appearing. So if you're taking notes, here's our, our first takeaway. That Jesus left us with signs that speak of his return. In a general way, he has these visions for us that say, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back soon, and you better be ready, and that's what we get to talk about. So you ready for the signs this morning? What are they? I got a picture for you. Look at that. The four horsemen. That's kind of cool. I just, by the way, love a God who loves to teach in different modalities. I love a God who uses illustrations and uses pictures and uses colorful language in order to explore what we need to know. Look at those horses. So we have a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. And I want to give you a roadmap of where we're going today. Are you ready? So first we're going to talk about what are they, then why do they matter, and then what do we do with them? Okay, so what are they, why do they matter, and what do we do with them? Are you ready to get into it? This will be fun this morning. All right. So from Revelation chapter 6, uh, here is what John, um, who is exiled on Patmos, the, the vision that he saw of the coming of the end. Um, here we go. I watched as the Lamb, which is Jesus, by the way, opened the first of the seven seals. The four horsemen are, are four of seven seals or seven signs of the end. Then I heard one of the four living creatures, a reference to cherubim, most likely angels, uh, the four living creatures in heaven who praise God, in a voice like thunder saying, come, and I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and it was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb, Jesus, opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, an angel, say, come, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb Jesus opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature and angel say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, 
and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb Jesus opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature and angel say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little while longer. That's where we are. Until the full number of their fellow servants, that's what he's waiting for, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Powerful words. Is anyone else excited to get into this? I'm a little geeked out. It's, it's going to be a little bit intellectual, but I'm also going to make it matter. So, so again, just hang with me. And, and you might want to take a pen out. Uh, the pen is going to help us uh, kind of draw the corollary in Matthew to what we're talking about today. All right, let's get into it. So I was doing some research about our country, and in about 240 years of our country's um, existence, about 222 of them have had some kind of war, which means that for 93% of our, our country, we, we've been at war in some form or fashion. Because of this, we know people who have fought in war. Do, do you know anyone like that? I have a cousin, because I grew up during the Iraqi war, who actually guarded Saddam Hussein for a while after he was captured. That was my cousin. I was talking to a pastor uh, whose father was in the Korean War, and his job was to be on a plane where the radar would have detected where to drop the hydrogen bomb. Do you remember learning about hydrogen bombs? They were bigger than A-bombs, and they were on the brink of using them in the Korean War, kind of the forgotten war. I have a grandfather who fought in World War II, also on a plane. And you guys know stories of that as well, right? Because we've seen various wars. In fact, it was just a couple weekends ago that we commemorated this on Memorial Day. And all of those who lost their lives in war. In fact, if you were downtown Chicago, you saw the Blue Cross Blue Shield light up with some gave all as this is the result of war. Now, that's just this country. Apart from our country, has there been war going on anywhere else? <laughs> of course we're hearing about the war in Ukraine and what it might lead to. So let's get into the red horse. <laughs> Do you see the red horse? Another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. This red horse is war. If you're writing notes and you want to draw an arrow, you're going to draw an arrow to verses 7 and 8. That nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's what's going on. There are wars. Verse 7 or verse 6 as well. But as I was looking at these literal phrases, I was just thinking about the ability to take peace and make people kill each other. If I extrapolate that in a broad way, does that not just happen in general as well as we think of that town in Texas, Uvalde? As we think of the Chicago shootings that we hear about so often? Even broader yet, as we think of the proclivity for a human heart not to want to forgive, but rather to hold a grudge and to get back and create emotional or physical violence because of the people we just can't get along with. 
This is a sign of the end. So you got the red horse? All right. Ready for the black one. Here's how the black one's described. I looked, and there before me a black horse. Its rider was wearing a pair of scales in his hands. I heard the sound of a voice coming from the four liver creatures, two pounds for a wheat of day's wages. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. So, so basically, two pounds of wheat, uh, which could make two loaves of bread. Now, if you work a whole day and can only afford two loaves of bread, are you living high off the hog? No. What I'm reminded of is some history here. I had a chance to go to Germany and uh, does anyone know the history of Germany in 1922 and 23 after the Treaty of Versailles? So just a little bit of, about that. In Germany, uh, 1922, you could buy a loaf of bread for uh, 350, 350 marks. In 1923, the year after, that price rose to 1,200 marks and at one point, 200 million marks for a loaf of bread. That's how much they were hurting after World War I and the Treaty of Versailles. Or maybe in America, you remember seeing pictures of this? And maybe even had relatives who lived through the Great Depression, and, and, and now some would call them hoarders, but really they were just hanging on to things that they might need, old tea bags and things like that, right? And what about today? Are you hearing about the effects of the war in Ukraine? Do you know that the country of Ukraine feeds 400 million people? Do you know that Ukraine and the Russian Federation uh, supply 30% of all cereals and that Ukraine itself 67% of sunflower oil? The head of the United Nations Food Program has this to say about what's going on. When a nation that is the breadbasket of the world becomes a nation with the longest breadline of the world, we know we have a problem. This was just recently an article from May. What is the black horse? It is famine. And in every age and every time, there will always be questions about provision. In every age and in every time, people will always be wondering, well, will we have enough? Will my kids have enough? What's going to happen in this country or that country? That, that's one of the horses. Moving on, what about the third horse? I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. They were given a power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. As we're drawing lines, our last line um, of the black horse could go back to verse 8, where it says famine. This line of the pale horse could go to earthquakes and the beginning of birth birth pains, and all the disruption that is happening. This is just general pestilence and death and the things that cause death. But if I pick out one thing, one of the things this represents is, is plague and sickness. Coronavirus. Do you guys know anyone whose sense of smell and taste is still off because of the coronavirus? Or maybe in a more serious way, uh, those who are called to heaven because of the coronavirus? pastor that I, I really appreciate who's now in heaven because of the coronavirus. And, and if you're like me, maybe you did some study of the plagues because of the coronavirus, and you were saying, well, how is this like the Spanish flu, and how is this like the black plague? And, and you could see that throughout history, we've always had to deal with sickness and death. What is the pale horse? It is pestilence, plague, death. And this is something we can track. What about the white horse? 
This one I left for last because of a couple different interpretations. I'll get into that. The white horse, I looked and there before me was a white horse that held a bow and was given a crown and rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, one interpretation that I don't prefer is that this is the Antichrist. And so if you're drawing lines, it would be those who claim that they are the Messiah but are not the Messiah. And regardless, here is the truth of the end times, that you'll always find people who come in the name of God and yet are not teaching the truth, who come in the name of God and unfortunately do not speak of the things of God, actually distract you from God and cause disruption and fear. In fact, something you should know about false teaching, do you know false teaching, it always hurts people. If you have false teaching, it's always stealing some hope and joy. And you have to beware of false teaching that is so prevalent in our world. One of the ways that you're aware of the false teaching is reading your Bible. It is up to every Christian to make sure they are reading from the Bible themselves to see if they're getting a true word, a good word. Watch out for false teaching. But the interpretation I prefer It correlates more to verse 14 and the gospel of the kingdom that's being preached to the whole world. Because in the white horse, I see nothing nefarious. I don't see anything bad. I see rather this conquering of Jesus and his gospel spreading like wildfire. And so I remember Billy Graham and his crusades. We went to the Billy Graham Museum in Wheaton recently. Anyone been there? And if you watch Billy Graham Crusades, you know that in Seoul, South Korea, a million people were gathered just to hear the gospel. That's incredible. If you track what COVID did, what COVID did is it prompted every church to put the gospel online. So it didn't matter where you lived. If you had Wi-Fi, you could hear the gospel being preached. And this is going on. And so the white horse, I believe, represents the gospel sharing the gospel. And so that is what they are, the four horses. Hopefully you filled in the blanks and, and got the correlations a little bit. We, we did our academic research, and, and, and here's a point. In every age, we will encounter the four horsemen. They've existed before. They will continue to exist as long as this world is spinning. And now, why does this matter? Maybe that's why you're here today. Why does this matter? One of the fun things I've had uh, this year is learning from Pastor Jeff. And if you've heard Pastor Jeff preach, um, he he sometimes says things over so that we we catch on. And he's done that with me. And one of the things I really preach about Pastor Jeff is this this lesson um, between our expectations and our reality. Have you heard this from Pastor Jeff? That if you have your expectations way up here and your reality is down here because you're thinking too much of it, that middle section is going to be pain. <laughs> That's for all, everyone getting married. Like, I, I love marriages and newlyweds, but sometimes your expectations are here, your, your reality is here, and there can be a little bit of pain. If you bought a new house and you just built it, your expectation's here, and then it leaked, and it's down here is reality, and then there's this pain because it's not what you expected. That's vacations. I expect it's going to be perfect, and then you know what I'm saying. When it comes to the four horsemen, here's what God, our Father, is trying to remind us. It doesn't matter where you live and when you live. No matter where you live and when you live, there are always going to be questions and concerns about provision. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're going to wonder about the economy, you're going to wonder if your kids have enough, and it'll be a struggle to have it because of famine. 
It doesn't matter when you live or where you live. You're always going to have to deal with violence and the effects of a sinful heart that doesn't want to forgive, that doesn't want peace, but rather wants revenge and wants to get back and wants to take what is theirs, what they think is theirs. It doesn't matter when and where you live, but you're going to deal with sickness. And it doesn't matter if it's coronavirus in one year or if it's cancer in another or a heart attack in another. As long as we're on planet Earth, we will deal with these things. And the reason that's so important is it sets our expectations. As long as you're on planet Earth, no matter when or where you live, it will not be utopia. You will not find heaven on Earth. In fact, here's the next takeaway. We can expect to wrestle with brokenness. Doesn't matter what you change. Doesn't matter what job you have. Doesn't matter. You can expect to wrestle with it. And then Jesus sets the expectations even more for those who are in Christ. So that fifth seal, what does that represent? The fifth seal after the four horsemen, that was the martyrs. Those who stood firm to the teachings of God, even when people didn't want to hear the teachings of God. And what happened? They were killed. Jesus is telling us, we may not always be popular. If you want to go forward in the name of Jesus Christ, it may not always be the word that people want to hear. And yet stand firm. Stand firm. But where I really paused this last week is when I went to Matthew and, um, and Jesus was saying about all these signs, such things must happen. In verse 6, such things must happen. I was wrestling, I'm like, man... It'd be a lot better if they didn't have to happen, right? And my mind, like, is that really what it said? So I translated the Greek, and it, was, and it said, it's necessary for these things to be. Necessary for these things to be. And, and my mind, like, why? I'd like a world without three of those horses. What about you? And then I remembered. It's because this isn't our home. God planned this to be our home. He wanted it to be our home. But it's not our home. This world is broken. And all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put it back together again. And we remember this is because of sin. A simple act of rebellion that led to all these consequences in the Garden of Eden. And we remember even ourselves, we find the same brokenness. In our own hearts, there is still rebellion and disobedience. We wrestle with the sin inside of us. So we deal with the consequences of that all the time. But what's the good news? That's why I've come today. The good news is that Jesus is conqueror over all of these. I'm here to share some peace today. It doesn't matter what inflation might bring. I want to let you know that. It doesn't matter what the gas prices are. I want you to know that. You know why? Because the God who feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, he looks at you and he says, I got those hairs counted. And I want you to know you are way more valuable. And the only time the provision is going to cease is when I want to see you face to face. And he handles another horse. Even though we face sickness and disease, we have a God who hears our prayers and a God who works through doctors and medicine, a God who knows how to speak a world and then be healed. This is the God that still helps us. 
and then for our sinful human hearts, only he can create compassion and forgiveness for those who hurt us. Because our God reminds us he has compassion and forgiveness for us. And so it's good that, to share that with all who are in need. Yes, Jesus is a conqueror over all these horses. He stands above. And most of all, he stands above our sin. I love that. In fact, did you see where the gospel was in the section? This is for you theologians out there. Where was the gospel in this whole lesson from uh, verses 1 through 11? I'll give you a little bit of time. Anyone know? Where was the gospel? Where's the good news? It's what the saints were wearing. What were they wearing? Did you see it? Then each of them was given a white robe. What does that mean? That means because of Jesus Christ, the conqueror, who went to the cross bearing the blackness of our sin, which was represented by a black day on Good Friday, that from the cross, you know what you get? You get holiness and perfection. And that is yours simply through faith. And it's not just a robe that you're going to wear someday. It's a robe you're wearing now. When your heavenly father looks at you, he says, wow, that's beautiful. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, simply through faith. Through faith, we're credited righteousness. Through faith, we are holy in front of a holy God. And that is yours because Jesus went to the cross for us and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered the devil. In fact, one of my favorite pictures of Jesus is Jesus on a horse in Revelation. Look at this picture of Jesus in Revelation. I saw heaven open and there before was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. This is Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are blazing like fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. That's pretty cool. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Who is the word of God? It is Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh. I love the artist's rendition. Uh, here is Jesus the king above all kings, the king above every other horse. And what you need to know about Jesus is that he is as powerful as he is beautiful. He is as terrifying as he is comforting. And he is as strong as he is loving. And he is yours. And because of him, we have peace, no matter what the horses bring. So, this is why it matters. It matters because Jesus is needed. It matters because we have set our expectations. But now, what do we do with all this information? What now is left for us to do? What's well, interesting that um, when it comes to the, the time we're living in right now, I don't know if any of you have been to a graduation party or a confirmation party. Where are my party goers? Uh, anyone been to a confirmation, graduation, something like that? Okay. And, and what's interesting about having a party is that the accomplishment happens on one day, right? It happens on one day, but the party happens sometime after, right? Um, it could be hours after, but it could be a day after. It could be a month after. The feet and then the party. You know what you have to do in the middle of that, between the feet and the party? You have to get ready. See, in the middle, you have to get the tables and the chairs. In the middle, you have to get the guest list and make sure the RSVPs came in. In the middle, you have to clean the house and get the food and get ready for the party, right? You know what I'm talking about. Go with me here. 
Jesus died and he rose. And the feat was accomplished. Salvation for all time, it is finished. It is sealed. No one can take it away. There's going to be this eternal party. That's coming. That's ours for all, all eternity. It's only be good all the time. Guess what we're doing in the middle? We're getting ready for the party. But what is our job? Now, and he lets you know, we don't have to worry about the food. And I know there's some good cooks, and there's some good teen cooks, by the way, today. Thank you, teens. Excited for the bake sale. But you don't have to worry about the food. God said in Isaiah, I got the best of meats and the finest of wines. I got that covered. You don't have to worry about the house. This house that's no longer our home is being prepared right now. He's decking out your place so that you don't have to worry about how clean it is, what it looks like. It's going to be awesome. He's got that covered. So what is our job? It's the guest list. See, God wants as many people as possible to be at that party, and he has prompted you and he has prompted me in order to get many more guests. And the way we do that is we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about the conqueror. We tell them that the time is short. We tell them that they need to stay ready because he's coming back as we see the signs. And that's what we do as a church. It's why we're on a mission to reach the lost with the love of Christ. It is because God's throwing a party and we want it filled with people. But another reason for the signs and what do we do with them? It's interesting that we live in a day and age of reminders. I don't know if you ever had this on your smartphone. You install an app, and, and that app asks this question, would you like notifications? And does anyone enable all the notifications? Is there anyone in here who's like, I want all the notifications? No, because you'd be notified all the time. It'd be buzzing all the time. Like, Nike's got a sale, and Old Navy has a sale, and your kid is here. Like, some of them matter more, Right? Or then I consider text messages. Have you ever signed up for like getting a text message because you got a discount? Go to Jersey Mike's, get a discount for a day, and now every Thursday they send you the sub of the day, right? Got me, all right, now you're dinging, blowing up. And then there's email, right? And email is just a system of reminders. How much of email is just reminding you of what you're supposed to be doing? I, I assume like 50 to 80% of email is just simply reminders. And why does this exist? It exists because companies and technology know about human nature. And here's human nature. We often forget what we are to be doing and where we are to be going. Isn't that true? You would not need to be reminded otherwise. But we often forget what we are to be doing and where we are to be going. Does the God of the universe know this about human nature? Does he know our natural proclivity is to forget what we are to be doing and where we are to be going? Absolutely. And so you know what the signs are? The signs are simply reminders for us to stay ready. Here's what this means. Every time you turn on the news and you hear about the war in Ukraine, it's like God sending you a ding. Do you know Jesus? You better stay ready. I'm coming. Every time you hear about possible recession and the stock market tanking and inflation rising, God's sending you a ding. Better stay ready. I'm coming back soon. Do you know Jesus? Every time you hear about a sickness or a loved one who has passed suddenly or something that you're dealing with in your body, God's trying to send you, ding, I'm coming back. You better stay ready. This is the goodness of God who before he returns 
does not want you to fall asleep, does not want you to be unprepared. And so the four horsemen exist in order to continue to remind you, you got to stay ready by holding on to Jesus because he's coming back and he's coming soon. And so here's your next step. When I see a sign, I'll remember. It'll be my ding that God wants me to stay ready. And by staying ready, it's holding on to Jesus. It's prioritizing him as the one thing needful when everything else fades away because it will. Holding on to him and sharing him with everyone you know as we work on the guest list. May God work in you this week to see the signs for what they are. Simple reminders that he is coming and coming soon. Let me pray for you. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us signs of Jesus coming. Thank you that though we deal with brokenness in the world, we never have to deal with it alone. Lord, help us to stay ready by putting faith first and inviting many guests to the eternal celebration you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Church family, at this time, we have the opportunity to encourage one another. Uh, Today, we'll use the words of a a common faith, the Nicene Creed, just to confess who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, We confess together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.